Hi everyone, this is Graham Cowan and welcome to the Caring CEO podcast brought to you by WeCare365. We created this podcast because we believe that every leader's number one priority is to build a more caring and resilient team who enjoys growing together. It is my job to interview CEOs and other senior leaders who value building both a culture of care and a culture of high performance. I'm very keen to understand how they do this, and we hope there will be lots of insights for anyone who wants to build a high-performing team. Today's guest is Joel Ramirez, and he has had a remarkable life. After growing up in the Philippines, he moved to Australia as a young boy. And although he was grateful for the opportunities this presented, he also observed that Australia didn't have the level of community support of his former home. He was always an entrepreneur and has a unique gift of forming strong partnerships, which has served him well as his career blossomed in the technology and startup sector. Despite the success, he struggled emotionally due to the lack of friends and support network when he moved to Sydney from Melbourne. He achieved remarkable success after founding WISE, an accounting finance package tailored to mid-sized businesses. Through persistence and a savvy approach, he established partnerships with KPMG, Microsoft and CBA. These relationships led to Financials for Office 365, a multi-award winning cloud accounting software built on the Microsoft platform. Joel has now left this thriving business to concentrate on his passion of increasing community well-being by improving social connection. He has shared his experience and evidence in his new book, Better Together, which is a great read. And I was delighted when he invited me to write the forward to this book. As you'll hear, Joel truly champions a workplace with a culture of care and high performance, and there's lots of valuable insights. Enjoy. It's a real pleasure to welcome Joel Ramirez to The Caring CEO. Welcome, Joel. Hello, Graham. Thanks for having me. How are you? Very well, thank you. Very well, thank you, Joel. It's been a while since we shared a coffee, but we must do it again soon. I do miss that, yes. Thanks <laughs> for having me. My pleasure. Joel, what does care in the workplace mean to you? Good question. I think. Care in the workplace is multifaceted. I believe that care happens when the individual's whole being needs are being looked after. And, and I would describe it in, in four pillars. The first pillar, I believe, is financial health. We, we have to remunerate people at the right jobs um, and provide financial assistance where we can if we have employees who are going through a crisis. So the second one is around mental health. Obviously, as a caring organization, we need to provide a psychologically safe and healthy environment for our peers and for our employees, and also access to those mental health services that people might need along the journey. The third pillar is physical health, and that could be uh, providing people with, with discounts at certain health and gym studios or providing access to exercise programs that happen in the 
in the workplace. Mm. But I think the fourth pillar for me, which I find to be non-existence in a lot of organizations or even in corporate organizations where I've come from, is around social health and well-being. And I think it's um, a, a topic that has been shown a light on ever since COVID happened when mm. employees all of a sudden were in lockdown and people had to work from home. Mm. And all of a sudden, they lose that connection with, with others, especially for solo, solo dwellers. So I think caring about our employees is, is multifaceted, but I, I think financial is a given, psychological health and safety is a given, encouraging people to exercise is a given. But I think now with, with what's happening around the world with, um, as a result of um, the, the pandemic that that's, that's come around is how do we socially prescribe uh, uh, to, to our people so that they feel reconnected and engaged once again? Yeah, I saw recently it was a, um, a study by Deloitte and they're looking at the C-suite's perspective of, of well-being and mental health and the employees. And the interesting thing is they looked at four different dimensions of, um, you know, health, very similar to yours. But in, in every one of the, the four examples, the, the uh, C-suite, very much overestimated the well-being of their employees, and probably the biggest difference was in financial health. Um, you know, where the C-suite thought that uh, everything was great, and it, and it wasn't. So that uh, you know, multifaceted approach you're talking about, um, it really makes sense. But uh, you know, we also have to make money. So how do we how do we have that balance between? you know, taking people, taking care of people, and also performing. Yes, you're, you're right. Um, at the end of the day, the, 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 the business has to make money. And while providing a psychologically healthy environment, uh, you, you still need to set clear responsibilities and, and mutually agreeing on, on things like KPIs and goals and, and holding people accountable to, 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 to their jobs. That's, you know, ultimately that's what people are hired for. Um, and unfortunately, I, I, think, I think a lot of people these days, thanks to, you know, uh, COVID are beginning to reassess their lives mm. um, as a result of the pandemic because you know this whole time it was all about it's all about hitting those numbers and hitting those those company goals and mm. and then finally realizing well that's only an element of my life mm. you know there's got to be something bigger than just the company's goals. There's got to be something else that we can cling on to, mm. whatever that is. Maybe a, a vision or a mission that's um, that's that's more than just about doubling numbers each year. Very much so, and I think uh, people are very much looking for a purpose. They're looking for meaningful work, and uh, I think that's a that's a very very good thing. Uh, we work better when we do believe in what we're doing. We feel we're making a difference. It's uh, it's a very it's an important element. 
Joel, you have a interesting life. Uh, you grew up uh, in the Philippines. Would you mind just giving our listeners a quick overview of uh, you know growing up there, coming to Australia, and an overview of your career today? Yes, sure. So, grew up in the Philippines. Uh, my family decided to move to Australia when I was ten. I had uh, I have a dad who was a uh, he he was a barrister in the Philippines. He was one of five barristers uh, in in his family. And then we arrived in Australia, and all of a sudden they couldn't get jobs. So my parents went on a dole. And um, so from a very young age, from the age of eleven, I had no choice but to help the family and uh, work in factories. Actually, you know, my first job was. Um, in very early teenage years, was working for a uh, a Jewish fish factory, <laughs> um, and you know you would be cutting cutting the herrings in, into into the jars and put the labels on them, and you know it goes to places like I think Coles and whatever was the thing at the you know the the which shopping centers were available at the time, and and then so that was my teenage years. You know I was going to school. Uh, while I was I was I was working to 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 help the family, and then at the age of twenty one, I had my first IT business, set up my ABN, and you know so that was good for a while. And then at the age of twenty nine, I uh, was a co-founding member of a of a company which is now publicly listed with fifty employees. And then at the age of thirty four. I co-founded a tech business uh, now called Wise.com, so that's W-I-I-S-E, which we sold to KPMG uh, in 2018. Um, At the age of 35, I won uh, the Young Entrepreneur of the Year Award for for my region. And then at 38, I started to write a book. (laughs) And... uh, Yes, by by the age of uh, forty two, I finally became an an, an author, um, and and the book was really written around um, mental health and loneliness, which I'm happy to share more about with you. You've raised so many interesting points there, Joel, and <laughs> I'd like to explore a bit further. <laughs> it must have been hard coming to Australia, and and hard for your dad to be a barrister and then not being able to practice. What was it like coming to terms with that? It must have been difficult for your father. That was that was very that was very difficult for the entire family coming into that realization, knowing that you have a wife and a three and, and three child children. You know, it's funny, I'm 43 years old now, and I think my dad was 42 when he arrived in Australia. You know, he's a uh he's 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 a guy of many talents and and I respect him a lot, but what what it has done is, if you think about it, when you are uprooted from one place and moved to a new place, mm-hmm. um, if that's not cultivated, you're like a plant, <laughs> mm-hmm. and w- without the support structure, without that stability, um, it's not easy. And, and and in fact, as I outlined in in my book, my mom went through severe depression. And it was difficult for us kids, and as it, you know, for someone like me who was never went through um, hardship before, to all of a sudden having to to work to help help the family, the it became really complicated to the point where 
you know, I, I, I would I would go to school and not wanting to come home because I was afraid of what mom would be like when I got home. And meanwhile, my dad was trying to keep the whole family together and making sure that we're no matter what happens, we're 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 a single unit. And he, you know, I, I believe he's achieved that um, today, actually. Mm-hmm. And that and that shows a lot about the the person when you go through a lot of struggles. It really shows what 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 kind of person might come out. And mm-hmm. thankfully, he had he was he was he was stable, <laughs> and he had self regulation. And you know, he was uh, he he's a he's a man of faith. And I think that carried him through, to be quite honest. What um, what real lessons, leadership lessons, did you learn from your dad? Talking about my dad, yes. Well, as I mentioned, you know, when we arrived in Australia, I felt people looked down on him, on on my dad's. Um, you know, this this guy was highly decorated man, um, highly. Uh, respected family that he's come from. And so, you know, I I, I asked him, Dad, what, why do you allow people to do that to you? You know, you were, you had a great job. You're a barrister. You know, you're, you, you get elected as president everywhere you go, mm-hmm. and whether it's an institution or a group or a community um, place, because you're a leader. And I, I remember it to this day, and he said, he looked at me and he said, you know, Joel, I, I don't really worry. I don't, I don't have time to worry about what people think of me or the clothes I wear or how much money I make or, or don't. And for him, what matters is what God thinks, what, what God thinks of me. And that really resonated with me how, regardless of whether I believed in it or not, the fact that someone had stability from something and and that carried his character all the way through and and made him resilient because in life a lot of things can can come our way and you know whether we feel like we're you know we've been shunned from the community or we we feel like we've been excluded in a group or in the environment or you're not feeling like you're um feeling validated all of these things can can happen to us you know it can be a crisis with finance it could be a relationship crisis and so for me what i learned from that is you know what is that thing that i could hold on to and remind myself that you know you, you know what's happening around me is only an element of my life i think of a a spoke or a wheel in a uh, in in a in a in a car, mm. and if you look at the hub, the hub is, has many spokes, right? Mm. And so for me, how I manage stress, for example, is a stressful situation could be. Uh, I would my analogy would be a spoke on that hub, but if you think about it, that's only ten percent of my life. Mm. The other hubs represent different things in my life, so mm. I could focus on that ten percent, or I could be reminded of the other ninety things that make up my life as well. So that helps me stay resilient and think about the bigger picture. <laughs> mm. And so that's how I shift. Yes, I remember in a previous conversation we had, you mentioned that uh, you know the Philippines is a much um, poorer country but very socially strong and a, and a strong sense of community and you felt loneliness coming coming to Australia. Can you tell us a bit 
more about that. Yeah, you're right. Uh, fr- from a culture perspective, Philippines is what you would call a um, a collective society as opposed to a, an individualistic society such as Australia. So what does that mean? A, a collective society as as the word suggests, it's about it's about the group, not about the individual. So in the Philippines, you would know not just know all your all of your neighbors, but you share food with them. You celebrate the same festivals as them. If the all the kids are if if the kids are playing basketball, the parents would come and watch the kids play. If there was a a blackout, everyone would go outside and and talk and build dialogue and tell each other stories. And when someone is struggling, others will come to the rescue. And I guess, I guess they have a shared pain, and that shared pain gives them awareness of the situation. And through that shared pain comes uh, compassion, and through that compassion builds trust and respect and support for one another. What I have found later on coming to Australia, being an individualistic. Um, society, generally speaking, it's 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 not about the group. It's not about the community. It's about the self. Mm. So that's very difficult because being also a masculine culture, it's this culture of if I'm struggling through something, I'll go figure it out. I don't need to tell anyone else. I'll take a teaspoon and I'll I'll fix it. You know, I'll I'll make it out of this. But truthfully, you're not meant to fix things on your own where as as social creatures we're meant to help each other where you know um, as as the saying goes a problem shared is a problem halved mm. and unfortunately when you're not uh, sharing that burden with others there's no room for dialogue there's no room for deepening of relationships in the process mm. so that's what we've what i've i've found and it wasn't until I started writing the book that all of that came out and and through my research realized, my goodness, this <laughs> yes. is actually a really big topic that we could be talking about. We're going to be talking a lot about that soon, Joel. But um, before we get into that, you know, money wouldn't have been plentiful when you were 21, but you decided mm-hmm. to start your own business. Yeah. Why? Well, <laughs> I was studying IT at the time and I was working as a tech support for a telecommunications provider. And, you know, that building had 1,000 people in it. And as a third level support, when I was 20 years old, I was going up and down and meeting people and fixing their computer problems, fixing the executives' computers and things like that. And I realized I, I like dealing with people. Uh, and 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 some coming from someone who's more introverted, I I I when it's my choice to go and meet people, I, I actually really enjoyed it. So what what I did was on the weekends to get some extra part time money, I um I uh, I worked at a computer store outlet in Melbourne. So I'm from Melbourne. I'm in Sydney now, and uh, I would open up at 9 a.m. and and finish up at 12 o'clock. And the the two guys who owned that business said, Joel, you make us more money in the three hours that that you're here than all of our salespeople working full-time for the whole week. How the heck do you do that? And maybe that could be a story for another day. And then I 
Uh, tell, really. me, tell me, tell me, <laughs> tell me the secret behind that. I think the secret behind that is if you think about this mouse, for example, right? You go to Harvey Norman. Someone wants to buy this mouse, so then you then you say you get the mouse, and then you you get their card, and then you say thanks, and you move on, and the next person comes, right? Mm. I don't work like that. Firstly, I say, hey, wel- welcome. You know, I, I I build a relationship, but I'm not interested in what you're buying. I'm actually interested. Have you heard of? The, the 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 latest technology. Have you seen this Toshiba laptop that's just come out, or this Microsoft Office ninety eight that's just come out? And all of a sudden, they came in to purchase a fifteen dollar mouse, and they come out with a three thousand dollar purchase of printers <laughs> and laptops. And <laughs> so it's about <laughs> it's about building a relationship and trying to understand their situation. And I think a lot of people miss that opportunity in life when someone is say, when someone is presenting something where where sometimes we're not adding value because it's it's highly transactional. But mm. I don't want to be transactional. I want to be relational. And through that relationship, you realize that you know what this people this person might actually need my help on on something. In that situation, it just happened to be in IT hardware. So mm. then I realized. Hey, I could actually do this for myself. I don't need to work for someone else. And that was the start of creating an ABN and helping businesses and setting, you know, it's funny, you know, you they initially they want a laptop for 10 employees. Next thing you know, they'll say, Can you network our office? Can you give us internet? Can you give us voice over IP? It just shows my age, voice over IP. <laughs> Um, so, yes, yeah, so that's really how I um, started as an IT reseller at the age of 21. Amazing. And then you went on to um, build a couple of very successful startups and grew them very substantially. What were the important foundations you put in place to cope with that? Because startups is a very volatile area. You know, it could be raining on one day desert the next sort of thing it's uh how do you go about creating that right culture how do you go about creating that right culture that's a good question i was actually going to give an example of a situation that 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 happened but uh you you do have to have the right the right people and i think to build the right culture people need to understand that you care about them first and foremost to build a successful team, it will only go so far until they realize that you're transactional. So how do you move actually from from being a transactional leader to a relational leader, someone who inspires confidence, but also is not afraid to roll up your sleeve? So basically, I wouldn't get people to do things I wouldn't do myself. Mm. So they need to see that from the top. Mm. And if you turn your cheek away when there's a cleaner cleaning the floors, then that's the kind of example that you're 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 setting. Mm. But uh, you know, as a startup, you have to be the cleaner. <laughs> you have to be the guy or woman who does marketing or sales or or the books or the bookkeeping or picking up the phone and being your own personal assistant. And as you build 
a team around you, that I guess that's the kind of example that you're setting is that in the startup phase, there is no set role, mm. really. You know, we're small enough to be agile mm. and we're small enough to carry each other through. And that's why a lot of people actually prefer to be in in smaller businesses because they feel like they're part of a family. They feel connected. You have a direct relationship with the person who owns the business. Mm. Where it gets complicated is when you start working for a 10,000 employee business or a 100,000 employee business. You know, there's pros and cons to growing so large. And I guess that's why Australia is made up of 4 million small businesses, uh, 2 million businesses hiring, you know, 5, 6 million people, right? Because we love we love connection. Whether, you know, ultimately it's about connection. And if people feel connected, Everything else will follow. If if you feel connected, that is going to be stronger than money. You know, people don't go into startup because they get paid well. If you look at the research out there, why? Um, what are the most important things to 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 employees in the workplace? The in in the in the top ten, actually in the top three, the the key ones are. Not more money. In fact, more money is like number 10 on the list of importance. But what's important for them is a relationship, better relationship with my colleagues and a better relationship with my manager. Mm -hmm. Feeling valued, feeling heard, feeling acknowledged, feeling supported. If you do all of those things, people, people will work above and beyond. You don't even need to tell them. Thanks for being part of the Care First movement. You may be interested in some free resources that we've prepared at wecare365.com.au. The first resource is a Building a Mentally Healthy Culture Checklist, which contains all the elements that you'll need to prepare and launch a mentally healthy workplace program and how to build momentum for up to a year after that launch. The second resource is how to support a teammate or a loved one in distress poster. This provides guidance about how to identify someone who's struggling, how to have the are you okay conversation with empathy, and how to guide them to the help they need. These resources can be found at wecare365.com.au. With WISE, you're also able to establish a very good relationship with KPMG and, in fact, um, eventually sell your business to KPMG. How did that process un, un, unroll? How did it uh, progress? Yeah, that's a that's a good that's a good question. So we we initially started wise.com before it was called wise.com at at the time. That was back in 2014. Um, we were speaking with Microsoft, and uh, you know Microsoft liked what you know Zero has done to the market and um, help businesses get into the cloud for their uh, accounting needs. And, you know, they said, we have this um, software uh, that we can also deliver to the growing businesses. Anyway, cut a long story short, within four years of establishing that that startup uh, in, in partnership with Microsoft, we were, you know, getting 20,000 site visitors a month 
on our website across maybe 50 countries making inquiries. And mm-hmm. that's when we knew that we we had something, something good, something big that we realized, actually, this is not just a gap that we were filling in the Australian market, but it seems to be a gap in, in a lot of countries. And at that point, when you're growing a tech startup, the cost of developers is actually quite high. The cost of research and development is quite high. And we didn't have that kind of money to, to grow the business. You know, we were, we were on, on a shoestring budget and you had to be very creative in terms of how you market the business but more importantly, clarity on why you exist. You know, the market doesn't need the next, um, you know, it's already got thousands of software applications, doesn't need another one. So you really need to be clear with your mission, like what, what are we trying to achieve and what is the gap that we're trying to fill and who are we helping? When you can define that, and be very clear of how that's going to look like long-term, it's not difficult to actually find people who appreciate what you're trying to achieve and they want to help you. And one of them was KPMG. Mm-hmm. And when, you know, initially what we wanted was 51% stake in the business and they get 49%, right? <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, you know, after 12 months of, you know, conversations that didn't work out. And they said, you know, why don't we just have 100% of the business? <laughs> <laughs> but if we come into this, we want Microsoft to be in on this. We want, you know, Commonwealth Bank supporting this, you know. So we kind of hit a trifecta, you know, mm. having one of the largest firms, the largest software vendor and largest Australian bank. Um, you know, banding together and and helping us was really a lock of the draw. Probably sometimes you could have you could have the right business idea at the wrong time, and sometimes you could just have an idea at the right time. And KPMG said, you know, we would like to, you know, we have offices across the world. You know, I think KPMG today may have two hundred thousand employees, and you know, we can help us replicate how you're doing this in Australia and, you know, we've got the money and the people to go and do it somewhere else, right? Mm-hmm. And, you know, I guess the claim to fame is um, it's the first tech company that KPMG purchased in their 150-year history. Wow. <laughs> There's pros and cons to that, you know, being a, <laughs> being a firm, dealing with a tech business. <laughs> that was fun. <laughs> <laughs> but that that makes them innovative, right? Like mm-hmm. it's you know you have to be sometimes. Well, actually, there's the the growth happens when you're un- when you're in that uncomfortable zone, mm-hmm. and um, that's where the innovation happens. <laughs> lots of uh, success in your in your life, Joel, and um, I'm sure lots of challenges along the way. What was the book that you wrote, and why did you choose on, to write on that subject? Yeah, sure. Uh, The the book is called Better Together and Why Loneliness is Killing Us and What We Can Do About It. So how did that come about? So, okay, so we we sold the business to KPMG in 2018 and 
I had a bit of a midlife crisis. I, I lost a bit of an identity because, you know, once you sell your business and change management and the next company takes over, it's like, well, who am I? Who, what do I do now? And so I was speaking with my wife and, um, you know, we were talking through, well, what is my purpose? What am I? What do I want to fulfill in my life outside of business? You know, I think I've achieved that. I have nothing to prove. Mm. I never tried to prove anything. It was it was really, you know, the businesses that that came they they both came about through my own personal crisis. And it's funny how crisis can give you opportunities, mm. um, you know, for for another day. But um, and I said two things. And she goes, "What well, what is it?" And I said, "Well." I think my purpose, I know my purpose. My purpose is about relationships and to connect others. Because I went through chronic loneliness and depression uh, coming to Australia. And so initially, I was writing a memoir. I wrote 15,000 words of what I went through. And I wanted to share it with my kids one day. So they know what their parent went through and how he went through real challenges and how is he, and, and how he overcame them. Mm. But then after about 15,000 words, I realized I could put this into a book. And then next thing you know, I wrote 70, 80,000 words on mental health on the first year. But then I looked at the underlying theme and in all my research and all the experts that I spoke with and all the interviews I've done of people with depression or whatnot, the underlying theme, I could not, I couldn't escape it. And it kept telling me that this was all about relationships or lack thereof in people's lives. Mm. So I pivoted, you know, I had a coach who said, Joel, mental health, I think in Australia, we've been talking about this for seven, 10 years now. So if you think, if you think the issue is the lack of connection, then, then you should talk about that. <laughs> And that's my friend, uh, Michael McQueen. You, you know, people may have seen him on, on Channel 7. He's a futurist and he's, he's a prolific writer himself. And uh, so that's how it started. And I pivoted to writing about, and I was scared at the time, Graham. You know, you're a, you're a, you're an, a, you know, a published author. You're a highly successful author. And, um, you know, my, my, my heart rate went up because I'm like, what do you mean I need to change the book? That means I need to research again and, and have a completely different – it's like writing a second book, to be quite honest. Mm. But then I said, I said, why me? Why me? Why me? And, 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 and Michael said, Joel, don't doubt yourself. You're the right person at the right time to write this, you have a lived experience. He goes, Joel, when I write, when a lot of people write, we write from the head because we're the experts in whatever that field is. But with what you've told me, you spoke from the heart. Mm. And really, I think a lot of people crave authenticity mm. and people want to be able to associate themselves. And I realized, oh my goodness, you're right. I, I have a lived experience. So the book is really about loneliness and social well-being, a narrative coming from my story of lived experience and drawing on the insights from experts and research data while interviewing people who's been through what I went through and speaking with those experts to 
uh, back the evidence, back the stories, um, and and my thoughts that I explain in the book. Mm. What um, you obviously had your own experience. What did you, what did you learn? What were the important lessons you learned about loneliness with your research? What did I learn? Yes, uh, first of all, initially I thought the stigma around it was 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 high yeah. and i felt like i was the only lonely person in the world and so what i learned from it was don't be ashamed because we are ultimately built as social creatures we 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 live together to survive so what i was going through was a normal physical um feeling that I kept to myself for a long time that maybe there's some there is something wrong with me. Maybe I don't deserve to be surrounded by people. So I started not liking myself for a lot of things. And it was self-doubt and lack of self-confidence. It spiraled down to the point where I got very depressed. And that's not good. Mm. What I also learned about loneliness as social creatures is that it's akin to say thirst or hunger. So if you know when you're thirsty, you your body's telling you to drink water. Mm. When you're hungry, your body's telling you you need to go and eat. Mm. So when you're feeling alone or lonely, so not feeling alone, but when you're feeling lonely, mm. that's your body's way of saying you need to go and reconnect. Mm. It's 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 you need it. So finally one thing that I that other thing that I learned is that Loneliness, the word loneliness is not a bad word. Mild loneliness is okay. But as Dr. Michelle Lim, who I interviewed for the book, she, you know, she's a, an expert in the field of loneliness. She said, Joel, mild loneliness is okay. But when it prolongs to the point when it becomes chronic, that is something that we need to combat and we need to prevent because when that happens, a whole cascade of mental ill health conditions and issues will arise. And that's not good for the human, the, the individual. And it has an impact, a dominant effect to your job, to your relationships, to your community. And it has a, an economic impact. In fact, I read last week, and I, I can't give you too much details on it because I still need to read it, a recent um Research showed that loneliness is costing us, us Australians, $2.7 billion every year. Mm. So if someone's finally been able to put a number on that figure. Mm. Many years ago, um, I think through KPMG, they did, um, they, they released a report that says, you know, mental ill health has costed us, you know, 12, also a billion dollars a year. So to actually put 2.7 billion of that into loneliness mm. is, is, is people finally realizing we need to be talking about this issue. Yeah. And uh, as, as you'd be aware, in the UK, they have a ministry for loneliness and Michelle, that you just mentioned, Michelle Lynn is part of the Coalition to End Loneliness in Australia. So the ones that are chronically lonely how do we fix that? <laughs> How long do we have in this podcast? <laughs> Look, that is not simple at that point. I think 
I think what we need to work on is prevention, solutions around prevention. And yes, uh, I'm glad to hear that the UK has acknowledged the problem. And in fact, um, you know, they've had a few uh, ministers now for, for loneliness in the UK. And I think the first one was um, Tracy Crouch. And they've learned a lot from that. And I think Japan actually has one now as well. So those are the two countries. Perhaps we could we could we could use one of those as well, but I would call it something else, not Minister for Loneliness, but something else. I um yes, sorry, I the the question was around um chronic loneliness. Yeah. We need to get to a point where we start preventing the issue, but but even even before we even talk about that, the issue is actually bigger because if you look at Australia. There is no funding bucket specifically for loneliness mm. in Australia, not at the federal government or not in the state government. Mm. So why don't we start there? There is a bucket for mental health. Mm. But I think if you want to solve chronic loneliness, there needs to be, of course, the awareness and education, but we also need need to 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 get some some of that budget that funding to actually assist those organizations those communities those individuals to assist in preventing chronic loneliness mm. and and that is not a simple one to solve i also talk about in my book how our australian culture has a part to play in that, which doesn't help. And um, being a wealthy country doesn't help, generally speaking, because when you're wealthy, the way this goes, Graham, is, you know, you and I both have friends, say, in Mossman, in Balmoral Beach. And, you know, you've got this big house of this big mansion and maybe you're divorced and you're the only person living in that house. Mm. And but because you're rich, you don't need you. You have no need like the Filipinos to go and knock on your next door neighbor's door for help. Mm -hmm. So the only time you get to see your neighbor is when you push the the bins out and you say hello to them, mm -hmm. right? So being a wealthy country, it's like you know, mm -hmm. getting a wish from a genie in a bottle. You know, yeah. you can be rich, but you'll also have to be lonely. You know? <laughs> <laughs> um, I said both, wouldn't it? I said both. <laughs> yes. With um, that experience and what you learned, you had personal experience, you spoke to lots of people. How has that informed how you lead in a business? In reference to mental health? Yeah, or just knowing about this uh, social need of people. Like mm -hmm. it's a basic human thing, isn't it? We want to feel that we belong. Yeah. And that's really important. And you know, especially now, if if you know, depending on the the who did the research, let's just let's just say pre-pandemic, you know, one in four Australians are considered to feel lonely, and fifty percent of that have bouts of loneliness in in a given week. But uh, you know, during the pandemic and now, uh, the some numbers are saying as high as three out of four people are feeling lonely. So all you need to do is go into an organization and you can just calculate if there's 
20 people here, you could, you could say, are 16 of my people feeling disconnected? Mm-hmm. And I just trying to cope passively. We are not that at that stage yet of awareness, but in a way, COVID is good and bad. Good in that it's led us to talk about an issue that we should have been talking about to begin with. Mm-hmm. And it had to take a pandemic to realize that it's actually an issue that we need to be talking about. Yeah. And so, so really, that's, that's what I would say to a lot of organizations who want high performance out of their employees is before you start figuring out how to get the best out of people, first, we need to show that we care. Yeah. And we care about them as a human being. Yeah. And that we want to add value to them. We want them to feel supported, but there's only so much that we can do as leaders of a business. Mm. What we can be doing is providing awareness and education around the importance of social well-being, social connection in our lives. And not just having friends, but we're talking deep and meaningful relationships because that forms the stability in our lives. So you could have a bad day at work and you can't talk to someone at work, if you have no one to talk to you outside of work, then the only person you might go to is a psychologist. And mm. I think that's great. Mm. But don't forget, that's not a relationship. That's a transactional relationship. They have a job to help you. That's right. That's right. And that's that's the big message with Are You Okay this year? Like uh, the theme this year is ask Are You Okay? No qualifications required. And it was it, it came off the back of research done by AUIK that showed that 40% felt that um, a mental health professional is better to talk with someone than a friend or a loved one. And the point you raised, you know, professionals are great, but they get paid. <laughs> it's like they have to do it. Someone who truly cares, trusts and respects you and reaches out to you, that does so much more for you than, you know, I'm not saying professional help isn't important, but this social connection is uh, just as important. And interestingly, in my, um, in my keynote um, presentations, you know, I talk about, you know, being involved with Are You OK and how well it's grown and the, the qualities that really that led to that. And then I asked people to reflect on one of the best teams they've been in. Could have been when they were, um, you know, playing football or netball or working at McDonald's, this job, a previous job. And I just think, well, what, what was it that made that team? What was it that made the great team different? And I have about, I think it's about nine factors up there. And I use um, Mentimeter, you know, where you can um, yeah. get people to vote. And so it's all anonymous. and Always the top three that come up, uh, we cared about each other, we had each other's back, and we enjoyed working together. Wow. <laughs> wow. And, uh, you know, and that's just a – so they, they discovered themselves through their own experience that they, they were the qualities mm-hmm. of the best work teams, and I would also suggest the best uh, uh, home teams as well. So it, it is um, – something that is very, very valuable to pursue. And I think one of the great things about the pandemic is that it just has raised the profile of psychological safety and and, um, and mental health in a business mm-hmm. and just realising that it's, 
that it's core. You know, um, PwC and Atlassian found out that mental health is the number one um, societal issue that that uh, employees care about. Number one, and um, Microsoft recently did work on what are the qualities for great hybrid work, and the top three were were um, a positive culture, mental health, and purpose. <laughs> and I would say that you can't have a positive culture without mental health. Yes. <laughs> and I'd say you can't have mental health without purpose. So everything leads to mental health, really, and and that sense of uh, how important connection is. You know, we, it's we a are, holistic approach, but even the word holistic is is connection. Those pieces have to be connected. Absolutely, <laughs> we're built to connect, no matter how you draw it up and call it whatever business acronyms, (laughs) the underlying theme is without connection, there is disconnection. (laughs) Yeah, there's pain. There's pain. If you um, could share a message with the world, Joelle, what would it be? Right now, it would be be kind to yourself. I know the, the latest pandemic has um, caused a lot of stress in the household, both financially, relationally, many other things. And we tend to beat ourselves up. Mm. I would say, be kind to yourselves. And also, yes, be kind to others. But my key message is build meaningful relationships. We've been talking about relationships a lot in this session. So if there's anything I would ask is have a think about your own relationships in this world. And do you feel that it's deep? Do you feel like you have the the support and the friendships that you subjectively need to feel connected? with your community, connected with your social groups, connected with your loved ones? And if if not, may I recommend to step out and, you know, take action, do do something mm-hmm. about it. it but, but, but that's easier said than, than, than done. I'm only speaking to people without chronic conditions here where there's still an opportunity to be, to be able to do stuff. Um, to 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 get yourself in a healthier state. So really, my message is: the key word is connection. It's been a real pleasure to uh, talking with you, Joelle. Thanks for being part of the Caring CEO. Graham, always great to have these discussions with you, as you know. And I, I really have, I really am feeling privileged to be in this podcast, and I'm looking forward to hearing what people think about it. (laughs) Great stuff. (laughs) Thank you. Thank you. Thanks for joining us today, and we hope you've learned some practical tips that you can try with your team. If you've enjoyed this interview today, please rate us on your favourite podcast platform. We also welcome any comments. If you're interested in seeing more details about our simple, scalable WeCare365 mental health training programs, please visit us at wecare365.com.au. We strive to make these programs easily accessible, practical and ongoing. If you've been impressed by a caring CEO you would like to see interviewed, 
please email us at support at wecare365.com.au. Thanks once again for joining us.